Well, both the Democrats and Republicans have finished their respective uh, conventions. <laughs> it's election season in America. Wow. I don't know what you think about all that, but my hunch is that you struggle with it on some level like I do. It just fills me with a little bit of cynicism. It just does. Because it's easy to become impatient with politics. Sometimes our elections remind me more of a sophisticated version of Braveheart. <laughs> You've got this camp over here on the ridge, and they're shouting insults and threatening, we're going to come tear your heads off, and we got this group over here threatening the same thing, just in a little bit different way. Sometimes it remains, right, reminds me more that there could be more maturity in a daycare center, actually. It's just so hard to make it through this and to do it with any excitement about November 3rd. It's easy to grow cynical. It's also easy to grow a little bit fearful because we're concerned about our country. My 2020 has been a tough year. Worldwide pandemic, racial injustice is center stage again. Protests that have destroyed property and people who are innocent. A national debt, I looked on the, th the little counter this morning, $26 trillion and rolling. Violence is everywhere and nobody seems to have a solution to stop it. We continue to have plummeting morality. We can't agree on God's definition of the family. We continue to violate the rights of the preborn. It's enough to make a person fearful and hopeless. So, your preachers hopefully brought today a message of hope. Because others can be anxious if they choose. They can be divisive if they choose. They can be ugly with their words if they choose. But God's made something clear through the pages of Scripture. And that's this. We Christians understand that what matters most is not who occupies the seat in the Oval Office, but who sits on the throne of heaven. Amen? We know that. And that God uses some way, somehow, the nations, our nations, all other nations, to accomplish His will. Those who follow Christ may follow politics differently, but we agree that what matters most is not the actions of a voter, but the sovereign hand of God over everything. And so what I pray that every one of us does this election is yes, vote, but I want us to pray. And I want to leave before we, before we enter into this time of prayer with this thought. When was the last time you reminded yourself by looking through Scripture that God is at work managing all this? As chaotic as it seems, He's still on His throne managing all this. It's been a while for me, too. So before we get at that work, let's pray. Father, wow. It just seems overwhelming, um, this election that's upcoming and the direction that it may or may not take our country. But we're praying for this word this morning through you, through me, from you, uh, that you would help us remember who's large and in charge here. We don't always understand. Maybe most of the time we don't understand how you do it. But we just want to be reminded that you are doing it, that you are at work, that none of this has, has caught you off guard. Father, we're not the only church that's looking for some direction, for some hope, for some, for some joy, for some, some freedom from anxiety. Um, we also lift up Zion Lutheran Church. Father, we know those brothers and sisters there love you, and they're looking towards you for direction, for wisdom, for what next steps look like. Please, hear our prayers together as the body of Christ. Lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said. I want you to imagine the following situation. It is... Um, post-Civil War America, and your ancestors have known nothing but slavery for generation upon generation. You have spent countless days under the hot southern sun, 
picking cotton or working somewhere on the plantation. And then comes the Emancipation Proclamation. You and your family are no longer slaves. You are free to go. That's great news on the one hand, but it's also disconcerting news on the other. How in the world am I going to make a living now? Where am I going to go? I don't have a home to go to. I don't have food of my own. No possessions, no property. I don't have a bank account with money in it. And somebody comes up with an idea. I know. Let's go to the plantation owners and ask him to provide all that we need to start a new living. Well, the only thing that sounds more bizarre than that idea is that he actually says yes. So you go to the plantation owner and you say, I'd like to have your milk cow and your horse and buggy. Uh, How about some food for a month, pots and pans, and a few of those clothes hanging in your closets? And he says, sure. Help yourself to anything you need, and if you have any need for anything else, I'll, I'll get it for you. Now, that sounds bizarre on the one hand, but also some of you are already way ahead of me. That also sounds vaguely familiar like a story that's central to God's story in his scripture. Because you remember the story of the nation of Israel. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God placed Joseph through a strange series of events in the palace of Egypt, not just to serve there, no, but to lead there. He helped this nation of Egypt and the nation of Israel both keep from starving because of a great famine that had rocked the land. But under Joseph's leadership, the other leaders in Egypt were very welcoming and accommodating to his people, the Israelites. But a new leadership arises years later. During this 400 years that we came to know of slavery under the Egyptians, this leadership made all of the Israelite people slaves and the taskmasters and the Hebrew um, taskmasters that were ordained and ordered to, to work among those Hebrews made life bitter and hard and difficult for their family members even. And then God declares an emancipation proclamation. And his version of Abraham Lincoln was a guy by the name of Moses. Moses is sent from the mountain where he was shepherding back to Egypt where he was once raised as a son of Pharaoh. He's 80 years old now. And before he's sent back to declare the release of the Hebrew people, God gives him some instructions. And you probably don't remember what they were. I didn't either. He said, I'm going to use my great power against Egypt and I'm going to strike Egypt with plagues which will be severe in the land. Well, we remember that. But after which... Pharaoh is going to let you go, and I will cause the Egyptians to think well of the Israelites so that when you leave, they will give you gifts for your people. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Who would have thought? Well, Moses goes back to Egypt, and you know how the story goes. The ten plagues are dropped on him, and Pharaoh finally concedes to let God's people go. And then read this. The Lord caused the Egyptians to think well of the Israelites, just like he had promised. And the Egyptians gave the people everything they asked for. The Israelites traveled then from Ramsey to Succoth, where there was about 600,000 men walking, not including the women and the children. Can't imagine this picture of a million people leaving a nation and walking out in freedom, fully stocked with wealth, possessions that those people that they had been enslaved by had given them. A slave walks up to a door, and and they've experienced, I mean, just heartache after heartache because of these sin plagues. And this guy appears who maybe you have had orders over, who you have had to make bricks and mortar for whatever project was going on. And he knocks on your door, and the slave says... 
that Suburban sitting in your garage, I'd like to have that. And, and I, 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 you've been wearing some Levi's and some polo shirts. I really like those. And, and those Titleist golf clubs I've seen you carrying to the golf course, I want those. And in his heart, he says, sure, they're yours. Anything else, I'll get it for you. It's one thing to read scripture. It's, it, it's another thing to put it into context for us now. I'm going, that happened? Well, why did it happen is a better question. Because of the persuasiveness of Moses? No. Because of the fear of Pharaoh? No. God softened the hearts of the oppressors for those who were oppressed, is what the Bible says. That God influenced, God moved in the hearts of the Egyptians. That God proved he was Lord over the nations. Maybe you needed to be reminded of that this week like I did. Because I've fallen into the common thought that says it's the president or the dictator or the king who leads a nation that matters most to where that nation is going. Well, according to the word of God, it's his power that's over both he or she, whoever does the kinging or the reigning or the dictatoring, because he's Lord over everything. And so the followers of Jesus Christ look at the politics of this world in a very, very different way. We believe that first and foremost, God's Lord over all the nations. Amen? Washington doesn't ultimately call the shot. God does. Congress doesn't direct the future. God does. The scripture is chock full of different versions of this following scripture. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Now that's, that's something I don't think about very much. That God, in those who are in authority, directs their hearts like a farmer would say, okay, we've got river over here, crops over here. Let's put a water access from the river to those crops. That's the image that the wise man Solomon gives us here. And he did this in Egypt. God did this in Egypt. But that's just one of the many examples that he gives. Let me give you two more at warp speed. God did something similar in the life of Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes. Remember those two? Say Artaxerxes with me. Yeah, isn't that kind of fun? Artaxerxes. I've been thinking it would be a great name for Clark's second child. Hey, call the first one Asa. You know how you can, some people put those with the same starting letter? What do you follow with Asa? Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, bring me my Xbox. Oh, we just call him Art for short, wouldn't you? Yeah, it works. Well, back to the story. Nehemiah, <laughs> not Nehemiah, Nehemiah is not doing well. And the reason why he's not doing well is because his hometown, his homeland has been attacked. The walls have been destroyed. The gates have been burned. And the city has been left free to be attacked by any enemy around. Well, Nehemiah is a Jew who cares about his hometown, cares deeply about God's city. And so he is absolutely undone. But he's not going to show that to the king because his role with the king, as we know, is the cupbearer. And it doesn't sound like a, it sounds like more of a professional waiter, but it's much more than that. A cupbearer made sure of two things. Number one, there was plenty of wine in the king's goblet, and there was no poison in the king's goblet. It's a pretty trusted position. Nehemiah owned that. And so he had to do as best as he could to do his job and yet with a broken heart. And what he did, instead of crying out to the king about it, at least at first, he cried out to God first. Nehemiah began to pray. He said, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He went before God nine months with that prayer. Nine months he prayed until one day his face could no longer contain his broken heart. 
Here's what he writes about in his remembrance of these events. The king said, or he had said, I have, not, I have not been sad in his presence before. And so the king asked me one day, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. Well, Nehemiah is a little bit scared to death because you don't get sad in the king's presence. <laughs> you don't let him know of your needs. You take care of his. And this mistake could cost you your life. But in the boldness that I'm assuming that God's given him because of what's about to take place in the king's heart, he says, can I tell you what's going on? How can I be happy in your presence when my hometown lies in shambles? When the walls have been destroyed and the gates have been burdened and it's made it vulnerable to the enemies of the land. I love this. Art responds, well, what do you want? What do you need? I mean, basically whips out his checkbook filled with checks signed by him already and says, just tell me what you need. And so with boldness, he does. I need soldiers, I need horses, I need letters of endorsement, I need money and supplies. And as best as we can tell, he doesn't say no to any of Nehemiah's requests. And I'm wondering, how's that possible? What does he stand to gain from answering some guy's prayer who, who's in his service? And the answer comes, because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. Because God had softened the king's heart towards the need, that's how the need got answered. God does that? Yeah. Another example, Daniel. Young man who also was serving in Babylonian captivity because of uh, God's wrath that he poured out upon his own people because of their disobedience. Uh, the nation of Israel has a lot of their folks taken away. Daniel is one of the young, upcoming, um, just really pushers, movers, and shakers of, of Israel, and he finds himself into the, the court of the king himself. Well, there's a guy that's over these young men and basically is in charge of, of what they eat, where they sleep, what they wear, what they study. And Daniel goes to him one day and says, listen, this fatty food that we're eating, man, it's just killing us. Um, we'd like to not eat the king's food. Well, that doesn't seem like too much of a, a huge request to us, just a little dietary request, until we find out in chapter 1 and verse 10 that this request could cost this man his life if it goes south. The official says yes to Daniel's request, and the official's taking his life in his own hands if this doesn't work. Why would he do that for someone who's been captured? And I love this. There it is. God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. I don't think about that truth in my daily devotional life very much. God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Why did he say yes to him? Because the God who operates through leaders changed and softened this guy's heart while he was in the oversight of Daniel. Last example. This one's going to be one of those that you go, that's not in the Bible, is it? But it is. Exodus chapter 34, verses 23 through 24. God says, three times a year, all of your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory, and nobody will covet your land when you go up these three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. Now this happens after the Emancipation Proclamation. They're in the Promised Land, and God says, here's one thing I want you to do. Three times a year, I want you to come and gather for worship with me. Now I don't know how they heard that, but I think I know how you'd hear that. Surely someone's going to say, wait a second. <laughs> you want all the men to leave from our nation to go up and worship you, what, what's going to happen with our farms and what's going to happen with our businesses and our medical practices? What's going to happen with fill in the blank? Who's going to take care of these things? But God puts their hearts at rest by saying this, no one's going to covet your land when you go up. That's why I had that emphasized there. 
He's going to make sure something doesn't take place in their hearts. He's going to put up the best security system in the world in their own hearts of these people that that they're surrounded by, not to invade them while they're worshiping God and putting Him first. God says nobody's going to think twice about what you're doing during this time that you're away. And I go, wow, I don't think about that scripture very often in my daily devotional. For His purposes, for His glory, God moves in the hearts of men and women everywhere to achieve his purpose. Now, let's just tally this up. Help me out here. Who prompted the Egyptians to give supplies to the former slaves? God did. Who prompted King Art to grant Nehemiah's request to refund the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem? God did. Who prompted the official of the Babylonian court to grant Daniel's dietary request? One more. Who watched over the lands of the Hebrews who left their farms and places and businesses to go gather to worship God? God did, God did, God did, God did, right? Well, I mean, I got another one to this. God does. God did, God did, God did, God did, but God does. And if there's ever a time I think we need to be reminded that God does, it's now. It's now. David believed this so much he included it in one of his songs when he said this, the Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who's in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms and over the nations. Power and might are in your hand. Nobody can withstand you. Hadn't read that one in a while. That's not just an Old Testament promise, it's also a New Testament. Here's what Paul says to the Roman Christians. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Let me read that again. There is no authority Accept that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. I think that's important to remember, because if I've heard it once this week, I've heard it at least 20 times over the last couple of weeks, and I know maybe you've heard it too, maybe you've even said it, something along these lines. If President Trump wins this election, our country's going down the tubes. If Joe Biden wins this election, I'm telling you, our country is going down the tubes. Really? Really? Do you think heaven's waiting with bated breath to see if we're going to have to go to mail-in ballots and will the Postal Service really get it right? Do you think God's having to espouse the, uh, the angels at night saying it's going to be okay? It doesn't really matter who's in the office November 3rd. Does one really think that the God who sits on the throne cares All that much what elephants and donkeys think. I didn't think so either. So let me remind us, church, let others be anxious. Let others get their lives tied up in knots. Let others hang their lives in the who's going to be the president in the Oval Office. Here's what God encourages us to do. We live in a democracy where our vote counts, and so here's what I think I can ascertain from his word that I'm supposed to do in this democracy. Number one is take my choices seriously. Have opinions. Express those opinions. Some of you even will campaign for those opinions and those candidates. Maybe even run for office yourself. And because we have a voice in God, we as Americans vote. If anybody votes in this country, it ought to be Christians. Because we do our best to make our voice, whose hearts have been given to God, known in this political system. But here's what we don't do. We don't freak out. (laughs) We just don't freak out. Along with the rest of the country. What we don't do is use our words as we've seen the last two weeks for demeaning and deriding other people. We certainly aren't deceptive. We use our words to build up and to be constructive all the while living in, remember, it's out, one of the books out here that we're going to be studying again, in peace. Because we know that regardless of who sits in the Oval Office, what matters 
is who sits on the throne of heaven. How many nations has God seen come and go? How many kings has he seen stand and fall? How many presidents has he sworn into office and then see them leave office? He's not troubled. And because we trust in him, we're not troubled either. Let me be, let me be personal about this. I, I love, 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 love living in America. I do. I love that I can take for granted the freedoms that I enjoy every single day for the men and women who've given their lives for me to do it. But you know what? I love being a citizen of the kingdom of God more. I do. God has my ultimate allegiance. He's whom I pledge my allegiance to. You see, I'm living in history today, but what's going to happen very, very soon is that I'm going to be looking back as my time of living in America, having been something that I was very grateful for, but, but being most grateful for, I'm alive in the new heaven and the new earth. And that's going to happen sooner than we know. What do we do in the meantime? All the things that I mentioned a few moments ago, but here's the one thing God says, I want to make sure you do. I've been holding on to this one for last. One assignment that, he's been, that we've all been given, that it's a command. It's not even a suggestion for the eternal citizens of heaven. Here it is. We pray. Enough already with thinking that's the last resort. It's our first response. We pray. And I mean we pray. The scripture contains the words of Paul written to some a lot of folks who are walking in Christ, but I love the ones, me particularly because of what I do, uh, that he writes to Timothy. Because it's a, it's a mentor of his that he's trying to encourage how to be a preacher where he's at and, and how to lead and influence the folks that he wants to see then influence the world. And he leads off with a, a huge priority that I, that I took note of this week and I want to share with you. Of first importance, he says to Timothy, I want to make sure, and here it is in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I urge you then, look at this, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. All people. And who are those people? Well, the kings and those in authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God reminded me of that this week. To this preacher, in this place, for these people, urge them to make prayers and intercessions for all people, but especially for those in leadership, for those who are president, for those who are governors and congressmen and senators and mayors and elders. Encourage them. If you're doing anything this week as a Christian, as a representative of Christ, pray and start there. Now, how are you doing with that? Crummy here. Crummy. And so I'm repenting this week. How about you? I haven't been very good about this. Doing a lot of talking about president and governors and senators, but not near enough prayer. And God says, I just want you to start there first. A Christian says, oh, if I only knew the will of God. And Paul says, read Timothy, pray. It's the first thing that you need to do. It's in my will first as you pray, especially for those who are in leadership. That's where you start. It's the first response of turning our life over to God of yielding who I am, what I own, what I'm striving for, what I'm not doing, and what I am doing, is I start with prayer. God, here's my life. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to vote? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to make a difference in this community that I live in? So if you're a Republican disciple, you pray. If you're a Democratic disciple, you pray. If you're an Independent, you pray. If you don't know who you are, you pray. This is a blanket assignment, a global assignment given to all Jesus followers. And I just want to say this also as we're being personal. I don't know how it all works. I don't. After 38 years of helping to lead churches, not just be a part of one, I don't know how prayer works. I just know it works. 
I sometimes don't understand how it doesn't seem to work. How when I, when I take my heartfelt prayers to God and, and, and I'm earnest about them, there are outcomes that aren't anything like what I've prayed for. But I keep coming back to, the, okay, if, if someone tells me to pray who predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off, then I'm going to listen to anything else he encourages me to do. And one of them he encouraged me with his life was to pray. With his words, yes, but more with his life. That my number one assignment as a Christian is to be in prayer. So here's three things I want you to join me in prayer until we get to November 3rd, okay? Here they are. Number one, that God would unite our country. That God would unite our country. Aren't you just tired of all the yang, 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 yang? I am. All the heartbreaking ugliness that's coming out, us against them. God, please unite us. And where we need to make changes in our government, how we government, please help us to do those wisely and timely. Number two, will you strengthen us? We're tired. We're weary with this COVID stuff. I mean, life was difficult enough before this got dumped on us. And so please help us have resolve to get up the next day and to say, this is a day the Lord has made and I am going to rejoice and be glad in it. Help us, Father, have that resolve to, to serve even though we're tired and worn out. Help us to be sacrificial with that. Number three, and also will you help appoint and anoint whoever needs to be in that Oval Office for the next four years. Father, we want what you want. So please, we're asking you, let your perfect will be done. Now, that's a little acrostic if you happen to notice there's this building. It says USA. Isn't that cute? Well, let's make it even cuter, all right? God, please help us unite. Please help us strengthen. Be strengthened and help us appoint and anoint, all right? Help us unite. Help us strengthen. Be strengthened one another. Help us be a strength to one another. And help us appoint and anoint who this next person needs to be that sits in that Oval Office. Is it going to matter if we pray those prayers? Here's what 2 Chronicles 2.14 promises. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I think God's trying to say our honest, heartfelt prayers matter today, but also for history. And again, let me say it again. I, I don't understand how prayer works, how some of these heartfelt prayers don't go and get answered the way that I hope that they would be. But I want to say this in regards to that because I didn't say it a while ago. If there's anybody who gets that, because I've got a brother right now who's begging for his wife's life, for a miracle to take place, and for her to be saved from her cancer. If anybody gets, if God says no to that, it's Jesus, who on the night that he was about to face the cross, begged God to remove this cup of suffering from him, and you know what God said? Can't. That his long-term plan of grace superseded Jesus' cry for short-term mercy. So I don't understand how prayer works. I just know God says it does. And the answers are up to him. My job is to make the requests. Amen? So let's go make some requests that God would unite us. And what's, yeah, unite us, that he would strengthen us, and that he would help us appoint and anoint the person who's supposed to be in that office. Jesus taught me that with his life. Remember? He was forever getting up to a mountain to go pray. He was always saying, okay, before I, before I choose these 12, i got to go pray. When the disciples asked him, of one thing, would you teach us to, it was not to preach, not to heal, but to pray. And so he taught him how to pray. When he goes and turns over the tables in the temple, and he is so upset about what's going on in his house, he says, I'm doing this because my father's house is to be a house of preaching. No, he doesn't say, my father's house is to be a house of healing. No, it's to be a house of giving. No, he says, it's to be a house of, now, we don't have a sacred building anymore. 
set aside and set apart. We have sacred people who've welcomed the Holy Spirit into their lives because Jesus has cleaned them up through the blood of, that he gave us on, our cross, on his cross. How's your house of prayer lately? Mine's not been so good. And so I'm repenting today. And if you need to do that with me, I invite you. And if you're here today and, listen, you really haven't cared about what God wants for your life and what God wants for this country because it's, all about, it's been about you. Man, we would love to see you today baptized in the Christ placing your lordship in him, trusting that he can absolutely free you from every sin in your life, fill you with the presence of his spirit. Make sure your name is written forever in the Lamb's book of life. We're here to serve as much as we can. But we're here right now as a family to remind ourselves it really doesn't matter who sits in that Oval Office because of who sits on. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and we're, we're just saying enough already for ourselves, not of anybody else, but enough already that we've made prayer a last resort in regards to this upcoming election, not just for the president, but for senators and mayors and city council people. We realize you put authorities in our life, God, to help create a greenhouse where we can grow and thrive and where we can share the gospel so that others can grow and thrive. And so we're asking this morning as a family, would you please hear our prayers to unite us, strengthen us, to appoint and anoint someone to sit in that Oval Office here over our country. And we're going to trust you with the results. But we're asking because you've asked us to. We're making that our first priority. And Father, we're also on behalf of my brother Art. I want to come again and I want to ask you because you said I can come to you in my time of need. Our brother would love a ninth inning miracle to save his wife. Please hear our prayers. We would too. If you choose to do something else, we pray, Father, for the strength and the peace to be able to, to live in that decision. Knowing that our sister full well immediately is going to be completely healed. Whether you do that in this life or the next. But we ask this morning for the mirror. Thank you that we could. Thank you that it matters. We bring all the faith that we can muster. You said it only took a mustard seed. Well, we're bringing what little seed we've got. And we're asking, God, help our country. And particularly today, help our brother Art. Please watch over Pat as she mourns uh, the death of Ronnie and begins a new chapter in her life. Father, we're asking that you help her believe that there's still some great chapters for her to write. That through your help and through your power and your strength, there's some things that she can do here in this world. You've left her here for a purpose. Help her to believe that. Be strengthened by that. And Father, we've got a lot of people in our, in our church right now who are struggling, who are looking for their way, wondering what next step should be. You know their prayers quietly. You know what they are. But we come together in the name of Jesus Christ, believing, believing what you can do matters more than what we can. So please hear our prayers and we ask them through Christ and everyone's said.